Well, good morning to you. Uh, I missed you. I wasn't here last Sabbath, I'm glad to be back. And uh, thank you, Anthony, for that beautiful scripture reading. And Meta or Meti? That's a beauty, beautiful song. I'm just so thankful the Lord blessed you with that voice and that you've dedicated for His glory. That is so important. And do I am I pronouncing Regea family? Is that how you pronounce it right? Rega. From Tennessee? Yes. Well, if you ever think of moving, come on over to Macedonia here. And uh, we're just so glad to have your family here with us. Um, you might notice that my jacket and my pants don't match. And that's because my jacket was in my car and I grabbed the wrong pants this morning. But I figured you would still love me. <laughs> My socks match, you know, so I did one thing right this morning. So, now some of you weren't here two weeks ago, um, and this is a part two, so I'm going to do a little review uh, from that, and so you can catch up a little bit, and then we're going to move forward. Uh, if, uh, if I go too fast on this review, we have a recording of it, right? But this is a really important message. This Revelation 14 means everything to us because not only does it begin with uh, the 144,000 of which all of us are to strive to be amongst, but it gives the messages that we're to give to the world. And there are seven angels, and we're going to review this here quickly, but every one of those angels represents us. And every one of those angels is really an invitation for us to be involved to help usher in the second coming. So we're going to want to... This this series isn't going to end today. I don't know how long it's going to take. I just want to make sure that all of us understand it. And let me just put out this invitation too. If this is going too fast, if you want to study it, we get a group study. I don't know how many would be interested in a group study or just personal studies. But I don't really want to leave anybody behind in understanding this. So if you feel like you need a little more instruction and time, please don't hesitate to ask because I want everybody in this church to understand Revelation 14 because it means everything to us. It's, it's the message God has given us to give to the world. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're just so thankful for your loving kindness. You have graced us with a reading of your word and with prayer and with music. It is a taste of heaven to come. And we thank you, Father, for gracing with this beautiful congregation, this beautiful fellowship, body of Christ, and that we are a growing congregation. In our greatest growth, we want to be just closer to you. And we know that there are precious souls out there ready to run with this message. And, Father, use us in your service. Help us to be used by you to meet those precious people out there. In this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want you to pray for a person. Uh, her name's Raquel. I got her name uh, from the North American Division because someone did a Steps to Christ distribution project, right? Someone got a zip code or something, sent out the Steps to Christ, and she responded interested in Bible study. So I've contacted her. I would have had a study last night, but she uh, her allergies acted up. She would have been here this morning, but she had a swollen knee. But I want you to keep her in prayer. I'm going to visit her right after service, and then we'll have our <laughs> and uh, and uh, 
to hand her a devotional book. But her name's Raquel Bird. And I'm hoping maybe next Sabbath or the one after that, she'll be here amongst us. So just keep her in prayer, okay? So here is a, a little review. Can you see that? Is that, uh, do we need the lights off at all or? Revelation 14, we're, we're, we're pretty familiar with Revelation 14 um, with this structure. 144,000 first five verses. The three angels' message. We always say three angels' message, and that's correct. We're to give the three angels' message to the world. And there's a promise, special resurrection for those who give the message. That they, even if you die in this message, you'll be raised up to see Jesus come. Right? You're not going to experience the seven last plagues. They'll have happened. But when it's just a small dark spot in the sky and it's coming closer and closer, you'll be resurrected to watch that glorious event. Okay? And then, of course, the next angels talk about the saints being ready for harvest. The harvest has come because God's people are now ripe. They've come to full maturity, which means that, and this is what God's been waiting for for 2,000 years. He's looking for a movement of people who are ready to harvest. And you know, you never see a farmer harvest his corn in July because it's not ready. He harvests it when it's mature. And Jesus will come back when he has a harvest. And so he's waiting for us to get more and more like Jesus every day. But then, of course, the world will be ripe for a different kind of harvest. Because the world will get to a point where it will have a death decree for those who... Keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, and the world will be fully ripe in a different way. But we notice that there are these seven angels, and there is an intention to have the first four separated from the last three, because as we studied two weeks ago, there's when you have a series of seven, there's four plus three. The first four are different than the last three. And these first four angels, you'll see the three angels' message, the fourth angel which we had our scripture reading, was Revelation 18, verse 1 through 4. And then there's the three angels that are left in Revelation 14. The first four angels represent a message that goes to the world. But the last three angels, there's no more message going to the world because what happened? Close or probation. You see, it's just like the time of Noah where he preached for 120 years and then what was shut? The door was shut. But it still didn't rain for a week. And then it rained for 40 days. And our time is going to be just like that. There'll come a time when the door will be shut. The message will go. Every case has been decided. And then what's going to start falling? Seven last plagues. And then Jesus comes. Okay? The exact same kind of scenario. Okay? And the last three angels is describing what happens when probation closes. And we see this separation of the four and three and all the other sevens. The first four horses of the seals are described as horsemen, but the last three are not. We see in the seven trumpets, the last three trumpets are called woe trumpets, but the first four aren't called woe trumpets because there's a difference between the first four and the last three. And this helps us when we get into Bible prophecy and we look at the seven last plagues and we say, well, there must be a difference between the first four and the last three, right? That's just a pattern. And the truth is, the first four plagues are not universal, but the last three are, when darkness covers the earth. 
And because we talked about last time, you know, if you had all the water in the world under the second and third plague turned to water, I mean, all the water turned to blood, you wouldn't need the other plagues because everybody's going to die within five days, right? So those are, first four are not universal. And that helps us when we get into prophecy with the seven heads. And we talked a little bit about that last time too. This first four different than the last three. And that's because the first four mentioned conquer one another. But the last three do what? They wind up working together. So in the end of time, what you're going to find is the fifth, sixth, and seventh head. You're going to have the papacy, the United States, which we already know prophetically are going to work together, right? But there's a seventh. There's that third one, the United Nations, okay? And so when we get to things like Revelation 17, we'll study that more fully. But just keep your eyes out because these aren't going to fight one another. They're going to do what? They're actually going to work together, okay? And that's how the whole world winds up worshiping the beast, okay? So there's seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven last plagues. But there's also angels with all those. There's seven angels to the seven churches, seven angels with the seals, seven angels with the trumpets, seven angels with the last plagues. But what do these angels represent? And with the church, we see at the last, it says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches um, that um, Jesus has in his right hand. And John's being asked to write to them. And we know that an angel just simply represents a messenger. So when John's told to write to these seven angels that it represents the seven churches, is he writing to seven angels in heaven? Or is he writing to people? He's writing to people, okay? So angels could represent who? Could represent us, not just angels in heaven. Could represent us, because simply the name angel means messenger, okay? And here was an example, again, of John the Baptist was called using the word angel. For this is he, John the Baptist, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger, my angelo, my angel, before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So throughout the New Testament, sometimes the word angel is used with people. So you and I can be a what? We can be an angel. We can be a messenger. God wants to use us to share some, just like he uses the angels in heaven. Which means that we're actually working together with them, right? Heaven and God's people together are messengers together to share the same message? Absolutely, the same message. And then uh, we see this actually in the spirit of prophecy. God's ministers are symbolized by the seven stars which he holds in his hand. Uh, the stars of heaven are under God's control and he fills them with light. So here we are told right in the spirit of prophecy that those angels that represent the seven churches are what? God's ministers. Okay, they represent people. In the seven trumpets, we have uh, angels standing before the throne of God, and that's who these angels are. But if they're standing right before the throne of God, are we talking about people or angels? We're talking about angels, right? We're not standing right before the throne of God. So in the seven trumpets, these angels, these seven angels, actually do represent angels. And in the seven plagues, we're going to find out that these angels also represent angels. And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your way, pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And we know that's not representing people because the only people left on the earth when the plagues fall is 144,000. And God's not asking the 144,000 to pour out the plagues. Right? The 144,000 are making sure they've confessed every sin, right? 
making sure that they're right with God. They're kind of kind of indirectly affected by the plagues, but they're not the recipients of the plagues. So these are seven angels. But when we get to Revelation 14, I want to read this is because these angels in Revelation 14 really do represent us. And so here's a description of the first angel. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him that made heaven and earth. And the question is, is this angel a heavenly angel or God's people? Who's actually preaching this message through the midst of heaven? And it's actually God's people. And we have this statement here. The angels are represented as flying in the midst of heaven, proclaiming to the world a message of warning and having a direct bearing upon the people living in the last days of this earth's history. No one hears the voice of these angels, for they are a symbol to represent the people of God. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So every one of these seven angels that we're studying is not talking about angels in heaven. It's actually talking about us. And so when we look at these seven angels of Revelation 14, we're we're reading about what God's asking us to do. And to do it as if we're flying through the midst of heaven and nothing's going to stop us. And we need to get that picture. Now, Pat shared something with me, the other Patrick, about how angels and those wings, having wings of angels, represented really being, what, led by the Holy Spirit? Was that, am I correct, Patrick? And that is very interesting that when you look at some passages, and I don't have them up here, but in, I think it's Exodus 19, 5, or 4? 6. Okay, I was close. Uh, that God was really the one who led them and protected them. So if you're flying to the midst of heaven with wings, it's a description that God is with you and leading you. And that's the only way you can fly. You know, the only way we can try fly through the midst of heaven is because those wings represent that God's the one who told us to go. And God's the one that keeps you in flight. Does that make sense? And so when we take this message to the world, we got to know that we're not choosing to do this by ourselves. No, this is a commission from God because after all, we're an angel. We're a what? We're just a messenger. And these angels represent us. So we're just being messengers with this. God's asking us to do that. He's sustaining us. Now, in, the, in Babylon, they had their wings what? They were plucked. Why were they plucked? They didn't allow God to lead them anymore. Isn't that interesting? Isn't this great Babylon that I've built? You see, when we put ourselves in trust of God and allow Him to lead and give us the power, we fly. But once we start saying, I did this and I did that, you get your wings plucked. And God allows you to fall down so he can teach you what? To put your trust in him. To realize that without him we can do we can do nothing. Does that make sense? I mean, all this symbolism is right there for us, isn't it? Wonderful. Now, if you're a messenger, you have a message, and you're like angels, and you're to fly. And the first angel's message... I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every kindred, uh, to every nation, kindred and tongue of people, saying with a loud voice, fear God, give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth. Now here's the question. Here is the first angel representing God's people. When was it first preached? And we covered this last time. 
You remember when it was first preached? 1831, okay? Because that's the year when someone began to first preach the everlasting gospel and that judgment has come. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. You know, Martin Luther preached the gospel, but he knew the second coming was at least 300 years beyond his time. So he wasn't the first one to preach this. It would come after Luther. No one before Luther preached this. Someone in history would begin to preach the everlasting gospel and that judgment has come. William Miller. Isn't that something? There was a first person. And there were a few people before him. Some children in Sweden. There was a guy named... Um, oh, who was a Jesuit priest who became a Protestant? Uh, huh? Lacunza. He did. But... William Miller became the main figure because he's from where? The United States. And the United States is where God chose to begin the Advent movement. Why did he choose America? I mean, he had people in other parts of the world. But one of the reasons he chose America, I believe, was because of the growing wealth of this country. The support of getting the message out. But it was also a country that talked about freedom. Where the gospel had a chance, the work had a chance to develop under the First Amendment rights, freedom. There's a lot of people who didn't have any freedom. And it started happening in a group of New York. William Miller, a lot of these people came from a part of New York where people were very independent-minded. Do you know what it would take to be a Seventh-day Adventist or a Millerite back then? And you start preaching things that none of the other churches preached. In fact... They not only didn't accept what you preached, they did what? They disfellowshipped you. And if you're going to be a person who's going to fly and be a messenger, you've got to be willing to think for yourself. You've got to be willing to take a message that God gives you, and it doesn't matter what anybody else believes. And you won't be alone. God's going to raise other people up. And you gather strength from one another, and you just take it to the world. Isn't that right? William Miller didn't know anybody else had it told him, and yet an angel tells him what? Take it to the world. Can you imagine how William Miller felt? He's sitting in New York. He doesn't know that anybody else believes this, and he's being told, take it to the world. He keeps hearing this voice, take it to the world. Now look what's happened since. You see? So William Miller began to preach this in 1831. Go tell it to the world. And now here's the second angel's message. Just like the first angel's message had a starting point, the second angel's message has a starting point. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Now the churches that represent Babylon are which churches? Okay, we could say Catholic, but the Catholic church at this time had already been a fallen church for over a thousand years. So the churches that are now beginning to fall would be the, the Protestant churches. Why? Because they rejected which message? The first angel's message. And by rejecting the message that Christ is coming soon, because you know what they believed? Oh, a thousand years of peace on the earth. What are you talking about? And God's not going to judge us. Nobody wanted to hear a message about judgment. Right? People only want to hear that everything's getting what? Better. Don't tell me the world's coming to an end. 
We're just starting the industrial revolution. Everything's, we're gaining more and more wealth. We're gaining power and strength. Don't tell me the world's coming to an end. People didn't want to hear it. And yet God had messengers who preached it. Up to about 100,000, right? At full strength before 1844. Or leading right up to that. But yet you had millions who heard it. But only so many wanted to believe it. And so when they rejected it and they rejected the people who preached it, they became what? Fallen churches. And look what happens to them since. Look what's happened to the Lutheran church, Methodist church. Many churches have become very, very liberal, have got even further away from the Bible. Why'd they get further away from the Bible? By rejecting the first angel. And they continue to fall and continue to fall and continue to fall. And it's a mess today in Christianity. Okay? But that message, we are told, began in the summer of 1844. The second angel's message of Revelation 14 was first preached in the what? Summer of 1844. But the message of the second angel did not reach its complete fulfillment in 1844 because these fallen churches are going to become what? More fallen. It's going to get worse. Isn't that right? Because eventually they're going to gain the control of what? Government. And they're going to start passing a law that's not even biblical and it's not constitutional. And when you pass laws, they're meant to be enforced. And so in 1844, they hadn't reached their full fulfillment. They, they had a lot more way to fall. But boy, when you start persecuting people because they don't worship the way you do, that's pretty fallen. And the world's going to come to that. And I have friends, I don't think we're that far from it. I really don't. Third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Here is the patience of the saints, and here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. When was this message first preached? You remember? October 22. Notice this statement, early writings. As the ministration of Jesus closed in the holy place, and he passed into the holiest, October 22nd, 1844, and stood before the ark containing the law of God, he sent another mighty angel with a what? A third message to the world. You see, we've actually got times. Now, if there's a time for the first angel, 1831... A time for the second angel, the summer of 1844. A time for the third angel, October 22nd, 1844. Do you think there's a time for the fourth one? Does that seem reasonable? Now, that was your homework. How many did your homework? How many studied? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing report cards here. You know, I'm more of a teacher than a preacher. Okay. So, first angel, 1831, summer of 1844, the second angel. October 22nd, 1844, third angel. Now, here's the fourth, and we're going to read the fourth. After these things, and I want you to remember these words, these key words. After these things, I saw another angel, I'm going to put emphasis, another angel come down from heaven having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. Remember those words. And he cried with a mighty he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. Remember those words, verse 1. 
Now we're told that the truths of the 18th and 19th chapters of Revelation should be read and understood by all. The whole of the 18th chapter of Revelation is a warning of what is coming on the earth. And if the Bible says something's going to happen, what? It's actually going to happen. And I tell people what the Bible says is going to happen, they say, I don't think that's going to happen. You ever run into anybody like that? Oh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there'll be a Sunday law. I don't think there'll be religious persecution. I don't think these religious leaders would mislead us. I don't think, I don't think, is not the same as I know what the Bible says. Because all that matters, what does the Bible say? It's not our opinion, and people shouldn't risk their eternity on probability, and we talked about that a little bit last time. I think that's how we kind of closed our sermon. A lot of people, well, it's like the time of Noah. Well, we've never seen rain, therefore, Noah, we're not going to have a flood. Probability. Just not going to happen. Don't believe it's going to happen. And yet God said it was going to happen. Did it happen? It absolutely happened. And everything the Bible says is going to happen is going to happen. No matter what people think as far as probability. Well, I've never seen a Sunday law. I've never seen this. I've never seen that. Therefore, it's not going to happen. But it's going to happen. Right? Now, I want to just, and we're going to get into the fourth angel after this, but I, I want us to see the way the mentality of the world's going to be, the vast majority of the world. And I'm just going to put up what they're thinking, how they're described, and then God's people, how they're described. So look at the, the way the description is of those, the majority who are going to worship the beast. And all the world wondered after the beast. Think about that word wonder. And the second beast causeth the earth to worship the beast. They were caused to. And the second beast does what? Deceiveth them that they should make an image of the beast. Almost the entire world is the way they're thinking is they're going to wonder after the beast. They're going to be caused to worship the beast. And they're going to be deceived to worship the beast. Does it sound like they know what they believe? They really don't. It's not really based on the Bible, is it? That doesn't sound like a group of people who really know what they believe. Sounds like probability. Look at how God's people are described. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, 12. Does it sound like they know what they believe? You see, what a a contrast. On one side, people wonder, are deceived, and are caused. And the other side, they choose to keep the commandments and they choose to live by the faith of Jesus. Sounds like that's the right group. Isn't that right? That seems like that's the only safe way of thinking. Okay? So let's, let's now move on. I think this is kind of where we ended. And in a large degree, we're talking about the fourth angel. It says fourth angel. So I'm going to look at some statements. I'm going to put some statements up here so we can define what the fourth angel is. Okay, And we're going to go through all these three angels' messages in detail. But I just want to get a sense of timing now. When was the fourth angel? And what is it? And a large degree through our publishing houses is to be accomplished the work of that other angel who comes down from heaven with great power. Which angel is that? That was number four. That's exactly what we read in Revelation 18.1. Who lightens the earth with his glory. Now for years... People would say, well, Jeff, what do you think the fourth angel was or is? What, do you, what did I say? Oh, it's, it's the publishing work. Does that say the fourth angel is the publishing work? 
No, it doesn't actually say fourth angel equals publishing work. It just says the publishing work's going to help get out the fourth angel's message. You see? So we're to find out what that fourth angel is, print it, and do what? Get it out. Publishing work's going to help us get it out. But the publishing work isn't itself the fourth angel. I used to believe it was for years. Let's look at this statement. It is with an earnest longing that I look forward to the time when the events of the days of Pentecost shall be repeated with even greater power than on that occasion. John says, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was light with his glory. Which angel? What is the fourth angel being compared to? The day of Pentecost. Isn't that right? So the publishing work is going to help us get out the fourth angel. If we understand the fourth angel and embrace it, we're going to experience what event? Something greater than Pentecost. Isn't that makes it pretty important, doesn't it? If we embrace whatever this fourth angel is, we're going to experience the latter rain. We're going to experience a power that's going to help us get out the three angels because of the fourth. So we have to know what the fourth is. Would you agree? It's by not knowing the fourth is why we're still here. Okay? The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which, is, which lightens the whole earth. That's the fourth angel, right? The same words. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with his glory, will not come until we have an enlightened people that know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. Okay, so... For me to experience the fourth angel, I need to be doing what? I need to be laboring with God. Somehow, for me to experience whatever the fourth angel is, and we haven't described it yet, I know I'm going to experience the latter rain, I'm going to experience something like Pentecost, but to experience it, I need to be a laborer with God. Somehow, I've got to make myself available for God's service, so that I can touch precious lives out there. That doesn't mean you have to stand on a street corner and preach, but you pray every day, Lord, bring someone in my life that I can make a positive difference. Kind word, kind deed. You want to be used every day to be a light to bring glory to God. So his glory shines and enlightens the world. Does that make sense? We still haven't described what it is. Or describing it, but we haven't defined what it is. And as they let their light shine, they receive more and more of the Spirit's power. The earth is lightened with the glory of God. That's another quote from the fourth angel. If you allow your light to shine, every time you let your light shine, you get what? You get more power. Does that make sense? You gain strength by ministering to others. Now, we gain strength from studying the Bible, and we get, gain strength by prayer. But we also need to gain strength by ministering to the needs of others. We've got to put those three things together. Do you know what I just described? The holy place. You need Jesus and study your Bible because he's the bread of life. Table of showbread. You and I need prayer in our life, communication with God, altar of incense. You and I need the candelabra experience, which is shining for Jesus. And if you and I do those three things that are described in the sanctuary, we're going to be prepared to walk by faith into the most holy place. 
and experience God's cleansing power, which prepares us to give this message to the world. But we've got to be willing to be candelabras. We've got to be willing to be laborers together with God. The light that is to lighten the whole earth, this is the fourth angel, right? The light that is to lighten the whole earth with its glory was resisted. Wow! By the action of our own brethren has been in a great degree kept from the world. What a statement. Here is the fourth angel's message which would have enlightened the whole world and Jesus would have come before any of us were born here. And that message was resisted. Do we know what that message is? And what we're going to find out is the message of Christ's righteousness. Okay? Message of righteousness by faith. Which you preach here. Right? But it's not preached everywhere. The fourth angel's being kept from our people to a great degree. And that's why we're still here. Let's go a little further. The unwillingness to yield up preconceived opinions and to accept this truth lay at the foundation of a large share of the opposition manifested at Minneapolis, the year 1888, against the Lord's message through brethren Wagner and Jones. By exciting that opposition, Satan succeeded in shutting away from our people in a great... I didn't memorize this. (laughs) A great measure the special power of the Holy Spirit... And I don't know how I do my slides, but anyway, it didn't fit. But she's talking about the fourth angel, the message of Christ's righteousness. What did Wagner and Jones preach in Minneapolis? The message of righteousness by faith. How the sinless life of Jesus changes my life. It's not just that Jesus died for me with a perfect life. The fact that he lived a sinless life means it should change my life. And that message was explaining how that happens. That's the fourth angel, and it was resisted, and we're still here today, until we preach that message. That's number four. And remember last time, we don't go one, two, three, five, six, seven. You have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. The only way to get to five, which we talked last time, is the second coming of Christ, is you've got to go through number four. You can't skip four. We can't skip the message of righteousness by faith. It has to be presented. The message of Christ's righteousness is the sound from one end of the earth to the other to prepare the way of the Lord. Notice what this says here. The message of Christ. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. The work that closes the work of the third angel is the fourth angel. And what's the message that closes this work? The message of Christ's righteousness. And the message of Christ's righteousness, again, isn't simply a message that Christ lived a perfect life. It's how his perfect life changes our life to be like his. That's the message. Now, there's a lot of people who only want to be what? Forgiven, but not changed. And we'll never get home if all we want to be is forgiven and not change. Be forgiven and still live the same old life. We need to be forgiven and converted so that day by day we become more like who? Like Christ. And receive His righteousness. 
So that I shared with you the story the man who stole our money. Anyway, so this was a number of years ago. A guy comes into our home while we're gone, and I had some money. I had $300. You don't remember? $300. And while I were gone, this man came into our home, and our neighbors saw him come into our house. And he didn't walk out with our piano or anything. He just came out of our house, right? And then we come home. The neighbor comes over, and he says, you know, so-and-so was in your house. And I knew who this man was. And I knew that he was capable, and I'm not trying to judge, but I knew he was capable of taking some. So I looked to see where my $300 was, and guess what? It was gone. Why are you laughing? <laughs> so I knew he took my $300. And I wasn't very happy. And I knew that the, the way that I felt was, was wrong. And I said, Father, forgive me. Father, I don't love this man. I wasn't even born with this kind of love. Yeah, I love my dog, I love my family, but I know that's not the same as agape. That means that you can even love your, your enemies. And I said, Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my ill feelings. Let me have your love for this man. You see, because I knew that God loved him because God sent his own son into the world to die if it was just him to die for him, right? God loved this man who stole my money. And by nature, I couldn't love this man like that unless I asked God to forgive me and I gave him my ill feelings to Jesus and Jesus what? He takes them. We did this illustration, didn't we? Can you help me do an illustration? Do you have a pen? <laughs> I'll accept that for now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, now you got another one. Okay. So you're going to play the part of God. And I'm the repentant sinner. And Father, this man has stole my money. I want to give... Those ill feelings to you. Go ahead and take them. No, you don't know. Go ahead and take my sin. This represents my ill feelings. Forgive me. Go ahead and take it. What's wrong with this? I'm asking God to forgive me, but I still want to have bad feelings. Let's do it again. Father, forgive me of my bad feelings. That's what I should do, right? Is that the end of the gospel? Let me have your love for this man. You see? Now I can love this man because now I have Christ's love for this man. You see, by birth, I never loved this man. I don't love anybody with agape love unless I receive it from above. So if you and I have a problem with someone, give those ill feelings to God and He'll take them. He'll gloriously take them. That's why He came. He doesn't want us burdened by these feelings. Because it weighs us down. But he says, thank you. But he says, don't just be forgiven. Be changed. Receive my righteousness. Live a new life. Give up the past and put on the new. Now you'd have to ask yourself, why would anybody want to resist a message like that? 
But it happened. Here we are. Jones and Wagner, Ellen White makes this statement, that Jones and Wagner preached a message teaching us the relationship between the Ten Commandments and the sinless life of Jesus. What's the relationship between those two things? Now, if you get rid of one of them, there's no way to understand the relationship, right? So what happened in the Jewish nation, they accepted the law, but they rejected Jesus, the perfect sinless one. Therefore, it was not possible for them to understand the relationship between the two. Now, you and I live in a time in Christianity where they accept the sinless, beautiful life of Jesus, but reject the Ten Commandments. And because of that, there's no way to understand the relationship between the two. Would you agree? Now, leading up to 1888, finally God had a people. The Millerite people. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, formed by 1863, finally had a people in the world who believed in the Ten Commandments and the sinless, beautiful life of Jesus. But just because you believe in both doesn't mean you understand the relationship between the two. So they believed in Jesus, but were trying to keep the law with their own righteousness. Trying to have a righteousness of their own. Does that work? You see, that's not the correct relationship. The correct relationship is, as I look at those Ten Commandments, and I realize I could never keep them in my own power. I couldn't keep even one of them that gives glory to God. The idea that I'd never say anything false at all, not even by an impression, that I would always tell the truth. You can't do that without divine help. And that'd be true of all the other nine. And so the law, properly understood, drives us to Christ the sinless one. And we realize that he did what in this life? He kept every commandment. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Is the same Holy Spirit available to me? Is it the same power? then that means if I'm willing to give up my sins and give them to Jesus, the sin bearer, that means he forgives me as if I have never sinned and I can begin to now live a new life by the power of the... who makes me more and more like who? Jesus. I give up my sin, my ill feelings towards this man, and I receive Jesus' love. And when I believed that I had received it, you know what I did? I went to his house. I knocked on his door. And he answers the door. And the first thing I said said to him, as I know, you took my $300. But I want you to know that I forgive you. And that you're worth a lot more than $300. You see, God had something I didn't have. Love. For an enemy. I wasn't born with it, but I can be what? Born again. How often do I need to be born again? Every day. Born of the Spirit. Born without power. And do you know what the power is of the gospel? It is the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is the power. Because Jesus forgave how many people? He's hanging on a cross... And he says what? 
Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is powerful. If you have that kind of forgiving spirit, you will conquer everything. How many did Jesus love and die for? Everybody. Is that powerful? Yeah. There's nothing that can conquer that power. The power isn't some phenomenal thing where we're going around doing miracles. The power is the life. The power is having the humility of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the forgiving spirit of Jesus. That's the power. But we're not born with any of it. We have to, we have to receive it. But you can't get it unless you give up the old. You gotta give it up. Give up the old life to receive the new. That's the message of the fourth angel. And when God has a people who give up the old life to receive the righteousness of Christ, that's what prepares the world for the soon return of Jesus Christ. We finally get to the fifth angel. Does that make sense? But in our churches, not everybody's told they can have victory over sin. Not everybody's told that they have to give up all this bad lifestyle stuff and put on the new. But friends, that's the power. That's how we get to go home. So here's the patience of the saints. Here are they to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And the Minneapolis conference was in 1888 where Jones and Wagner were used by God to declare the message of how Christ's righteousness changes us. And so here we come, and I know I'm getting to the end of my time, right? Is that right? What, how, what do I got? I'm already done probably, okay. First angel, 1831. Second angel, summer of 1844. Well, now we haven't explained these messages fully yet. Third angel, October 22nd, 1844. Fourth angel, 1888. And so Ellen White writes in 1893, had the fourth angel's message, the message of 1888, the message by Christ, had it been accepted, she writes this in 1893, had that message been accepted, they would have already, they would have already gone home to heaven. And here we are. What is keeping us from heaven? Receiving the fourth angel. Now, how many of you here have heard a sermon on the fourth angel? Isn't that interesting? I'm telling you, friends, we've got to write it. We're messengers. You're God's angels. We not only need to experience this message, we got to put it in word and get it out. Because it's the only way we're going to get home. We're not going to get home because we own more printing presses. We're going to get home because we experience Christ's righteousness. And when we have his righteousness, we won't be afraid to tell people what they need to hear that prepares them for heaven. Is that right? 
Let's finish with a few more statements here. Another mighty angel commissioned to descend to the earth to unite his voice with the third angel and give power and force to his message. So when the first angel's message went out in 1831, did it stop? No, it keeps going. And then the second angel sounded in 1844. Has it stopped? No, it just keeps going until the very end, until the close of probation. Third angel, 1844, October, started. Has it stopped? No. And you know what God wanted to do with his fourth angel? Now he had X amount of people. He had a movement. He had a church. He had a denomination that believed this stuff. But what they needed was what? Christ's righteousness. They had the knowledge. These guys were phenomenal in their understanding of the Bible. But our knowledge doesn't get us there. It's our experience. And so God's been waiting. Who really wants to be like my son? Who hungers and thirsts to be like Jesus in everything? That's what he's looking for. What do you say? That has to be us. I'm telling you, this Cleveland area, I don't know how many people are there, over a million, right? Do you realize how important you are to Cleveland? You are the city on a hill right here. You have more truth in this church than all the other churches put together. And you're the messenger for Cleveland. What a privilege. But God didn't just throw this burden on her shoulder and say, good luck. He says, I'm the reason you have strength. I'm the reason you have a passion. And if you and I keep staying close to Jesus and having a daily devotional and choose to be like Him, more and more like Him every day, we're going to gain what? Strength. We're going to gain power. We're going to witness more fervently, more effectively. Just we're growing, we're growing, we're growing. And then we soon get get home. And may heaven look down upon us and say, Praise God, I had a church in Cleveland. And we've got to pray for our brothers and sisters everywhere else. But I'm telling you, you've got a head start because you're the church that's remained true to God's word. You're a head start of all the other local churches here. Keep going forward. Choose to be like Jesus every day. Take time every day to study that altogether perfect life. And say, I want this. I want this. Fair enough? So every one of us, find a time every day. Even write it down. Say, you know, Father, I commit 6 o'clock in the morning. That doesn't have to be your time. I'm going to study the life of Jesus for a good half hour. Your plan can always change. It can always grow. But you've got to have a plan. And it's got to be specific. Because you're going somewhere. You've got a goal. And once you have a goal, you have something to reach. If that goal is Jesus, spend time with him every day and receive the power, truly, which is the power of the Holy Spirit, which is ultimately the message of the fourth angel. Now, before we have our closing hymn and closing prayer, we have uh, the nominations for...